Stu Does America. Tis election year, many months ahead. You need the State of the Race series wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure you search for the Stu Does America stream. If you search for State of the Race, you'll probably get some other junk. I don't know what's out there. Maybe there's something good. But I know if you go to the Stu Does America stream, part of the free stream is going to be the State of the Race podcast. We'll have another episode later this week. You can also check us out for free, youtube.com slash America to get this show uh, in video forum. Uh, you can be sure to subscribe there, uh, check out the videos and everything else. We appreciate it. Liz Wheeler is going to be here with the latest on the border and Biden's classified documents case. Uh, I'll tell you about my fabulous trip to Las Vegas to hang out with Taylor Swift. But we start by doing the Houston mega church shooting. And it's interesting because I was away, as I mentioned, for a few days uh, out in Vegas. And, you know, look, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of bright lights. There's a lot of flashing, you know, uh, you know, slot machines. It's noisy. There's a lot of distractions in Vegas. Plus the Super Bowl's out there as well. You got a lot going on. And I honestly, like when I try to get out of here for a few days, I'm doing my best not to focus on the news because that's what I do for a living. I'm doing it all the time. I'd like to get a couple of minutes to not be thinking about the destruction of the free world. It's just, it's a personal preference. And while it's completely selfish in nature, it's important to note, it's also true that there are some side benefits when I do this. Because I get to, I think, uh, get the news the way an average person gets the news. And when I say average person, I don't mean you or me. I mean people who are out there just taking in the news as it comes. You know, if you're watching the show, you probably watch the news all the time. You're probably interested in the news. You think about these things. Maybe you've put 15 seconds of thought into who you're going to vote for in 2024 already. I know you're way advanced, but a lot of people haven't done that. A lot of people just get what is spoon fed to them from the mainstream media. So let me give you how I kind of took this news in. Uh, this time, which is fascinating, I think, because it was not with the conservative analysis that a lot of times I, I like to get and give. It was just here's the mainstream media. Here's what happened. And this is this is what I got. Houston megachurch shooter had an AR-15 and brought her seven year old son. I mean, this is a terrible story. The seven year old son being wrapped up in this is just uh, an awful, awful part of this story. But here's what The New York Times says. And after, as afternoon services were beginning at Lakewood Church in Houston on Sunday, a woman arrived in a trench coat carrying a backpack, her seven-year-old son at her side. She brought two rifles and had a piece of yellow rope resembling a detonation cord, law enforcement officials said on Monday. The woman pointed to an AR-15 and an unarmed, pointed an AR-15 at an unarmed security guard, officials said, and then made her way inside the church, which is led by the televangelist Joel Osteen. Almost immediately, she opened fire in a hallway with the assault-style rifle. As they provided new details of the shooting that rattled Lakewood Church, law enforcement officials said that, they, uh, they, that what might have been a mass shooting inside of one of the largest manu- uh, megachurches had been narrowly averted by a pair of off-duty officers working security in the church, a commonplace feature of worship at large congregations across the United States. The officers, a Houston police officer and an agent from the State Alcoholic Beverage Commission, uh, confronted the woman, exchanged fire with her and killed her. Her son was also struck in the head by gunfire. Oh, awful, awful part of the story. He remained in critical condition on Monday. A man in the church was also wounded. Um, they were all they were uh, at a, a wall that existed between worshipers and terror, uh, the, between freedom and, of religion and murder, said the Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission, uh, said at a news conference referring to the off-duty officers. Uh, okay, so 
uh, officials identified the woman as Janess Yvonne Moreno, who lived in Conroe, Texas, north of Houston, and had a history of previous arrests, including one 2022 on misdemeanor weapons charges. Chief Troy Finner of the Houston Police Department said that she had a mental health history that has been documented. Now, over and over again, this is a up until this point, kind of a uh, terrible but normal telling of this story from The New York Times, right? Like it's a run of the mill crazy person. A woman is a little odd. That's not, not usually women who do these types of things, but a woman uh, comes into the church, uh, start trying to shoot it up. Good guys with guns actually come in and stop the shooting, which is, is good. But, you know, some serious mental health problems. Uh, you know, again, uh, should she have had guns at all? Not probably with this mental health history. Texas neighbors said they tried to sound the alarm about Houston, the Houston church shooter for months. Uh, they said afterward, again, it seems like, you know, it's not that there weren't any laws here that c- couldn't have stopped something like this. It's just that another one slips through the cracks. And it's an interesting story. Um, it goes on. It was not clear what had drawn Ms. Ms. Moreno uh, to the prominent megachurch located along a major Houston highway in a former NBA arena. But according to legal filings in her acrimonious divorce fight, her mother had once attended Lakewood. Now, you know this story probably by now, but I'm now on paragraph eight of the story. I think paragraph eight. We're all the way there. All the way to paragraph eight. And you know the details that are coming, right? You know them, but I didn't know them. When I'm reading the story, I'm like, gosh, this is okay. Uh, what, what do I need to know? Is there anything else to the story? Well, get to paragraph nine and you start int- learning some interesting things. The police also discovered anti-Semitic writings made by Ms. Moreno, said Christopher Hasek, the commander of the department's homicide unit. The AR-15 carried a sticker with the word Palestine on its stock. He said the feelings expressed in her writings appear to stem from disputes with her ex-husband's family, some of whom are Jewish. Now, if this person had a red hat on when they committed these crimes, do you think that'd be paragraph nine? Do you think they'd be like, oh, and by the way, had a Make America Great Again hat on. I should believe that. Is a paragraph nine part of the story? One of the central news stories over the past six months has been the October 7th attack and the reaction to it from the left. Oftentimes, celebratory. People who decide they're going to go murder people, intimidate Jews, uh, do all sorts of anti-Semitic things, threaten lives, all of these things. This has been happening, being people being chased around campuses, uh, Jews scared uh, to just go to school, go to work, admit they're Jews at all. That's been a big story. And the New York Times is like, you know where we should put that part, that detail, seemingly central to the motivation in these murders? Paragraph nine. Now, you know how boring the story I just read to you was. How many people do you think got to paragraph nine? A lot? Any? But no, they're going to leave this as some yet another Texan with their guns going into a mega church and shooting people up. Okay, so anti-Palestine, that's paragraph nine. And by the way, they did eventually cover this on some of the news networks. Here they are talking about these details on CNN. What more are you learning about a possible motive here? Well, there's an indicator, which is on the rifle, the words Free Palestine was written. Uh, We have seen writing on the rifle before in some of these other incidents. So there is an an indicator that this is someone who studied prior shootings. We saw it in the Buffalo shooting in the supermarket. We saw it in the New Zealand shooting in the mosque where the rifle 
kind of becomes the, the, the communique. Uh, but we don't really know if that is the full breadth of the motive. That's why federal authorities were executing search warrants uh, last night at the home uh, looking for computers, any written documents, thumb drives, uh, social media mm -hmm. online. They're really peeling back through the um, identity of this person. Now, I want to be clear. That's actually probably the way you should cover the story, right? You should cover the story by saying, look, we don't know for sure. Here's a serious indication as to what it is. We don't know for sure. They're still looking for things, but this is pretty obvious uh, that this is at least you know, part of it. At least that's what it seems like. Is that how they do it in all the other cases? Is that how they cover these shootings? Because normally what I see is they immediately jump to some evil right-wing motive and do everything they can to paint the person as a right-winger for as long as possible, even if they know it's going to fall apart later. Because if they can get this in front of people, people will just believe, of course, evil right-wingers equals guns equals bad equals dead people, right? Like, that's kind of the approach, typically, of the media. Now, I, so I'm not criticizing that report. I think that's actually a pretty well-crafted, balanced way of looking at that. We can't be certain, but here's what we know. That's an okay way of doing this. But of course, that's not what leads the broadcast. That's way, way back in the broadcast. It's in paragraph nine of the New York Times story. Well, if you read a little bit further, we get even more interesting detail. Let's go on to paragraph 12, shall we? Ms. Moreno had used male names in the past, which appeared in connection with some of her arrest documents. But officials say that she had always been identified in those documents as a woman. I think I know what that means. Right? I, I think what they're saying is this was someone who's a woman and occasionally used a male alias for some unknown reason but is actually a woman. Now that, of course, is pretty rare. Most people who commit murder in this country are men. I mean, we, just, we just got it down. Look, I mean, I know you're jealous, ladies, but we're really good at the whole murder thing. Uh, then I was like, well, but do I know the answer to this? Because I've been reading a lot of these stories. We've, we've read many of them together. And they give you these details that read like they should mean one thing, but then they actually mean the other. Is this a guy or is this a girl? I don't know. It's hard to know. In fact, I felt terrible for the officers trying to answer these questions in the press conference because they looked terrified. I think they look more confident walking into the room with the shooter and their guns than they do trying to answer questions about what gender this person is. Watch this. So she has utilized both male and female names, but through all of our investigation to this point, talking with individuals, interviews, documents, Houston Police Department reports, she has been identified this entire time as female, I, she, her. He, well, she, and her. so uh, we are identifying her as Genesee Moreno, Hispanic female. Now look, the guy's just trying to not get fired, right? I, look, I, I identify as, I don't, what am I supposed to say? Now look, I think I know what happened here. I think this is, an act, this is a woman, a woman, a born a girl, now a woman or was a woman. Uh, a Hispanic woman, I guess they're, they're supposed to bring up the rate, I guess now because it's not a white person, that's going to be buried as well. Um, but okay, we've got a, uh, we've got a, I think a woman. Now, the reason I was able to come to that conclusion is not because any of the words you just heard, 
Because honestly, if it was a dude that was just saying he was a woman, all these reports would have read the exact same way. They would have been the exact same way. The reason I could tell is because I saw a picture and it looks like a woman. But I don't know. I frankly don't even know. Now, of course, the left is pouncing on the right, saying the far right is spreading misinformation, claiming the Lakewood shooter was trans. I mean, is it misinformation? First of all, we don't seem to have the actual information, so how do we even know if it's misinformation or not, number one? Number two, I mean, I can see there might be a distinction between someone who says they're a man and says they're a woman and a person who's trans. I, I can see that distinction. You've been telling me for years that all you have to do is say it and you turn into it. Like, if you say you're a dude, then you're a dude. If you say you're a woman, then you're a woman. Well, if he was saying he was a dude, what he was saying using male names, I guess he was a dude for that period. I don't know. Seems like you guys change the terms all the time on this. So I honestly do not know. The, the actual answer here is I don't know. All I could say is, I don't look, look like a lady. That's about as deep as you can actually get from the information. And this is a problem. We don't know the actual truth of what's going on in our news anymore because people are terrified to tell us the truth. They either have an agenda to lie to us, or if they want to tell us the truth, they're terrified they're going to get fired for saying it. And by the way, on the gender thing, I've been reading uh, Coleman Hughes' new book. It's uh, The End of Race Politics is the name of it. Arguments for a Colorblind America. Uh, it's great so far. I'm about halfway through it, but I can't recommend it highly enough, at least so far. I mean, uh, it's just, he's saying things that should be obvious to everyone, but really, really important. But one of the things as I was reading it, I was thinking about this as it ties into this story. And it's fascinating because he talks a lot about how, you know, race what does it even mean, right? Like black, like these terms, like we use black, black America, white America, what does that even mean? Like we're talking, individuals are what are important and you know I feel that way. Um, but like, you know, why is Barack Obama categorized as a black guy when he has one black parent and one white parent? Like why, why does that happen? Especially when his, you know, his black parent, his dad wasn't really even around. He was raised by his white parent. Why is he the first black president? Why do we call people from Pakistan? Why do they fall under the Asian category uh, many times in our government documents? And people from Afghanistan don't. And there's all these weird things that we do because in some ways we're just kind of like making up these lines, right? Like, I don't know, you know, if you have three white parents and one black parent, are you, are you black or are you white? I mean, not parents, parents, grandparents, excuse me. You know, what are these lines, right? They're just government, they're checkboxes on government documents most of the time. They're not really all that meaningful. They don't tell you anything about the person, really, right? Like, knowing someone is black or someone is white, all that does is tell you, I guess, their skin tone. But again, there's a lot of different colors in the skin tone, wide range, what people can look like. I mean, there's people that are so, I mean, Glenn Beck is the pastiest guy I've ever seen in my life. It's hard to believe he's, he's the same uh, race that I am. Um, so you get that situation where you're like, what does that even mean? It doesn't really tell you anything. These are just dumb little categories we've all kind of created for whatever reason. And in that, we're told, is the most important thing about you. Like, you fit into the black category, the white category, the Hispanic category, whatever it is, that's incredibly important. In fact, it's the defining thing about you. Robin D'Angelo can tell you that you are a racist just based on the box that you check on that document. That's an incredible thing. It's so important, even though these are just largely human-created things. Gender, on the other hand, is something that can very much tell you a lot of things. 
It can tell you about parts of your body. It can tell you probably about the highness or lowness of your voice in almost all cases. It can tell you your ability to reproduce. It can tell you what chromosomes you have, all these things. It can tell you that are real hardcore things that are true. It immediately tells you something true or false about a person. And yet that's the thing that we can change by just uttering a couple of words. Oh, well, I'm actually a girl. Does this make any sense to anyone? The things that actually do measure something about a person are now all fluid and liquid. And the things that are just basically human created categories are now the most hardcore rigid things you've ever heard of in your entire life. It's all backwards and it's hard to believe it's not uh, by design. I will tell you that. Um, I've got so much to get to and we're, we're running so late because I just keep ranting. Um, look, let me just tell you this. The story is really awful. The media is really awful in telling you the story. But let me tell you what I think happened here. A crazy person who shouldn't have had guns in the first place legally broke in with her son and tried to take out a bunch of people instead got shot. The tragic thing that really happened here is the poor kid who is seven years old and may very well not make it. It's an awful, awful story. But at the end of the day, a lot of other people did not die because of the actions of two good guys with guns. The stories you never hear, the stories that the media never wants to tell you, stories that, you know, have the Second Amendment used in a way that protects life. And that is the normal way it's used. You know, that's the normal way it's used. In fact, it's only the only legal way to use it. Right. And that those stories never make it to you. Uh, you know what the gender is of the person who did this and. And, uh, you know, whatever, whatever crazy motivations they had that were tied to anti-Israel or whatever we find out here is not what's important. Uh, what's important is we have people who will stand up in those moments and make sure that it doesn't get much, much worse. You're never going to be able to prevent everyone from doing something crazy. But at the very least, you can minimize the tragedy by giving people their right to defend themselves and the people around them. If you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute. But the one thing in life that you really can't afford to wait on is setting up term coverage life insurance. Choose life insurance through Ladder today. Get this done. It's important. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, you can just answer a few questions about your health in an application. You just need a few minutes to set it up. You need a you know, phone or a laptop will do it. Ladder smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. And there's no hidden fees. You can cancel any time. You can get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Look, thinking about life insurance is not something anybody wants to do. Uh, you, you never want to sit back and, and, and spend a day doing this. That's why Ladder Life makes it easy. You know you have to do it. Just get it off your list. Ladderlife.com slash stew is the place to go. Go to ladderlife.com slash stew. See if you're instantly approved. It's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Ladderlife.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Liz Wheeler to the program. She's the author of Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids and host of The Liz Wheeler Show. 
which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. Liz, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to be here in person. Yeah, I know. It's so great. Um, I, uh, I was off at the end of last week, uh, and all I basically thought about was sports for several days. Uh, Understandable. And I missed as much of the news as possible, right? As I, like when, I'm, when I'm gone, I want to not think about it if I can. However, I will say this report with, with Biden and the, the documents did break through to me because it's one of the most fascinating developments I've ever seen. I mean, here's a, a report where they kind of say, hey, yeah, he did these things. Sure, he broke the law, but he's so out of it. He's an elderly man with poor memory. You can't quite do anything about it. I mean, it's, it's perplexing on about 100 different levels. What, it, what was your take on it? Well, we hardly needed a report. <laughs> to realize that this was the case. I mean, I guess it, I guess it is shocking to hear an official report where it's documented, but it should just teach us that we should follow our common sense and we should take our own observations as seriously as we take the experts' opinion, because we all knew this this was true. We know that yeah. Biden is senile. I don't say that as an ad hominem. I think it's very sad that his family is abusing him the way that they are, that our government is, is mm. abusing him the way that they are. Um, my big question about this isn't, really about Robert Hur's mindset, right? Like there's longstanding legal precedent that you don't indict a sitting president. Mm -hmm. That's what he was relying on. I don't know why he added this caveat that said, and even if we didn't rely on this precedent, <laughs> I still don't think that we should indict him because he's just a doddering old man and he's mentally incompetent to stand trial. I don't yeah. know why he did that. My big question here is will this make a difference in how people vote? I'm not talking about how you and I vote. I'm not talking mm -hmm. about how the right wing votes. I'm talking about your average Democrat voter, not your committed ideological Marxist, but your average Democrat voter. They agree that M Biden is mentally decaying, but will it actually prevent them from casting a ballot for him? Mm. I don't know the answer to this question, but it's the question that I am most interested in. I suspect the White House has some kind of polling that shows that perhaps it doesn't impact people's vote, because otherwise, why would they have trotted him out for that press conference? Why would they be handling it the way that they're handling it? Um, but I, I am interested to watch that play out to see, OK, is it actually going to stop you from voting for him? Or are you just going to bellyache about it? Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to watch that happen, because I think you're like the you're right. The ideological Marxist is not going to make any difference. I think even the average Democrat, because their entire mindset is not even ideological. It's just like this guy on the other side is so bad. I can't have him. I, it's an, more of an anti-Trump passion than it yeah. is a pro-Biden passion. I do wonder about those people in the middle, though, right? Like the people who could kind of go either way. And I know there's not a lot of them, right? We know that most people have their minds made up on Donald Trump and Joe Biden at this point. But like there are people who voted for, you know, Hillary and then Trump. And, you know, there are people who voted for Trump and then Biden. Like there's there's some people in the middle that are a little strange in these in these uh, per, some of these purple states in particular. And because it's such a central weakness for Biden, 86% of voters say he's too old to, to be president. Like That's shocking. Th these things, when they happen it's like shocking this. shocking that there's 14% that think he's not too old. <laughs> That's incredible. You're right. Um, when these scandals reinforce something that people already think, that's when I think they're the most impactful. And, and I have to say, like, watching that, it's like to hear just a, a report come out from the government that Merrick Garland basically has to, you know, go along. He, he put this guy in, in this position. He has to release the report. Uh, he signs off on the release. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to shake some people even more. I, I think because there's a there's an idea that, like, conservatives say things bad about Democratic presidents. Democrats say bad things about conservative presidents. Of course, that's true. Right. We were just right on this the whole time. 
Like, right, it's not like the nastiest ad hominem, really. Like, if yeah. it was just an insult, then we didn't do a very good job coming up with one. Mm-hmm. Because what is it, like, you're old? Like, okay, we're all going to be old, we're hopefully. Old. Like, yeah, God willing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, actually, let me go back to a point that you made about this this small percentage of Democrats who voted for Hillary and then voted for Trump. I think the opportunity um, to get more Democrats to not vote for Biden is bigger than that, even bigger than mm. the people that you know have a nonsensical voting pattern, right. if you will, yeah. because of what happened in 2020, right? When the when big tech censored the New York Post story about Hunter Biden laptop, mm. well, the reason they censored it is because they thought it would make a difference in how people voted. I think it was MRC that did a poll shortly thereafter yeah. and found that like three out of 10, 30% of Democrats would have at least reconsidered their vote had they heard of that story. And I know that that's cheating, right? That's yeah. corruption, that's different. Yeah. But the fact that they would have considered considered not casting their vote means that that 30% at least isn't the ideological left that will vote for a vegetable if they think that that vegetable can achieve their Marxist ideology in the White House. Those people are the people Republicans really need to go after. Maybe not with the mental decay stuff. I think it can't hurt to add that in since everyone can see it. But with the corruption stuff, for sure, we have an opportunity that we haven't fully taken advantage of to be like, listen, Joe Biden is the business. Hunter Biden was his pawn. Like, this is bad, cheating, corruption, evil, selling America's soul to foreign dictators. Like, you have to get him out. Those people, I think that that would, those those 30% of Democrat voters, I think could be convinced not to vote for him on that basis. What's your optimism level here? Because, I, you know, it's interesting when I talk to people, I talk to, you know, if I talk to someone who's uh, who's on the left, I, they never say, you know what, just Joe Biden's done a great job. Bidenomics is awesome and this is going really well. I never, ever hear that from anybody. What I do hear is, Donald Trump is a nightmare and I can't stand him if they're on the left. And then on the right, I hear there's no way Trump can lose this because Biden is so bad. Look at how badly this is going. And like that connects with me. Like I it's going really badly. He's a really bad president. But like, again, you look at the polls, they're they're close. Like, I don't think there's any reason to believe it's going to be a blowout either way. What's your optimism level? I don't think that the polls matter. I think polls are never accurate. Um, my, this, this is going to sound so cynical and so skeptical. Okay. I don't think that public opinion is the deciding factor mm. right now in our election system. Wow, you're all the way there. You're there. I am, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm no conspiracy theorist, and I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not a doomsday crier. Yeah. But. I can't imagine that the electioneering, and I, I want to differentiate between allegations of like mass voter fraud versus the electioneering, the changing right. of the rules, you know, right. the universal oh, mail-in yeah. ballots, the drop boxes that are unmanned, mm-hmm. the degradation of signature verification. Those rule changes made a difference in 2020. We just had that study out from the Heartland Institute that showed that not only did one in four mail-in uh, voters admit to committing fraud, if you applied that percentage to swing states, Trump should have won. Mm. Well, what have Republicans done in the wake of the 2020 election? Yeah. Virtually nothing. I mean, if, if anything, you'd Virtual- almost argue it's worse, right? Like, because Absolutely. Democrats won those states, they've been in control of those states, and they've, they've changed the rules, too. I yeah. mean, there have been improvements in a lot of red states on voting laws, but... That doesn't matter. Which is good, but like it's not good. where it's, not where uh, it's going to be the deciding yeah. factor. So that's kind of where I am. Mm. I am looking at the 2024 election like, well, why wouldn't they use the same playbook that they used in 2020 since it worked for them? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't matter if people like Trump. Maybe it doesn't matter if people dislike Joe Biden. Maybe Joe Biden's mental decay and the fact that they're just being honest about it is their way of thumbing their noses at us saying, you know that Joe Biden's mentally decrepit. We know that Joe Biden's <laughs> mentally decrepit and it doesn't matter. We've rigged the system. <laughs> Four more years. So oh, how's God. that for optimism? That is opti- <laughs> but you, the answer was low. You're on optimism I mean, scale, you, you're low. You can, you can put it on the scale. But. Yeah, barely, barely. <laughs> um, let me switch over to another uh, wonderful topic, the border and uh, foreign aid. We are, we're in this endless battle, it seems, between the Senate and the House and, you know, 
the Senate Republicans, you know, there's there's a bunch of them that are still on this kick where they're going to just give money to Ukraine and uh, everybody, seemingly. Um, and it doesn't have to be tied to any border uh, reforms at all. They did try to get some border stuff done earlier. That was widely rejected by the party. What do you do in this situation? Because, I mean, it, the energy of the party clearly is in this position. We don't want this. We don't want this money going here. I mean, I, I don't know if there ever could be a bill that would be good enough on the border that you'd ever get Democrats to sign on uh, for that would be worth anything. So we're kind of in this stalemate. And, you know, there's 15, 20 senators in the Republican Party that are going to make life miserable for people who want to go a different direction. Yeah, I've been saying for a long time, I think that Congress should change its tactic, and not just Congress at large, Republicans in Congress, mm. and that they should pass these very short standalone bills that force Democrats or rhino Republicans to reject common sense things that the vast majority of the American people want. Yeah. So right now we have these gigantic stacks of legislation, right? No one knows what's in it. It's so convoluted. No one can put it into talking points. So the average American might not really understand like, oh, what is this contentiousness in Congress? Literally a one paragraph bill that says we're giving this much money to stop or to secure the border, to stop the flow of illegals, to protect us from overflowing our welfare, to yeah. protect us from terrorists. Like the FBI caught, what, 19 of them in December on a terror watch What could 19 terrorists do? I can't think Where of anything. Where are they now I don't know. is the question. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that Republicans need to do that. And then any member of their own party that votes against it should be thoroughly, not just ridiculed, but like their career should be over mm. in the media and we should primary them because they're no different than Democrats the way that they're acting right now. Yeah, it's tough too because, you know, these are six-year terms, right? So yeah. these, these guys just, especially early in their terms, they'll vote for all sorts of stuff. And then mm -hmm. they all get kind of conservative towards the end and everyone's that like, last oh, 18 months, they have a real come to Jesus moment. Yeah, yeah, they're really, <laughs> really good for about 18 months. Um, it's, it's fascinating because I don't, I, I don't know what to do about the border because if... In a way, this is a perfect time to negotiate a border bill because they want the left wants something. They want this Ukraine money pretty seriously, and so maybe you could get something out of uh, out of them. However, does anybody believe they would enforce it even if they passed the law? They're not enforcing the laws that they have now, and you know you wonder though if Trump gets in and Republicans get in. Unless you're getting 60 votes, right, you're probably not going to get anything good done then either. And this just goes on forever. I mean, at least Trump would do something about enforcing the current law, which would certainly improve the process for the years he's there. But, like, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves. You know, Republicans aren't going to win every election till the end of time. And every time, you know, Republicans lose, this gets worse. And half the Republicans that win make it worse. So it, it seems like a, a losing battle over the long term. We'll talk about optimism, low on the scale. <laughs> that might have even outdone me. <laughs> You're welcome, America. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, when Trump was president, he used executive action appropriately to close the border, mm -hmm. not to fully close the border, but to crack down on the border, to reform the asylum system, to make sure that there was a weight in Mexico policy. And that had a material difference, or yeah. it made a material difference. I think people can see the contrast between the two. Yes, there's always going to be bad people in politics who want to... Uh, reverse policies that are good for the American people and instead use those policies to harm the American people. But the border should be such an easy win for Republicans because it's not an issue that's terribly partisan except in Washington, D.C. Most Americans want the border to be secured. Most Americans want people who are coming to America to go through the proper process. Maybe some of our processes need reform. You can make that argument. That's fine. It's kind of a separate argument. But the fact of the matter is what was happening under Trump is vastly different than what's happening under Biden. Oh, yeah. And it's not because of cooperation from Congress. It's because of just the executive office of the president and executive actions coming from that office from both administrations that have that have drastically changed this. So 
It's I tough, mean, though. You get on this merry-go-round, right? Like, whoever's president, it improves for a couple of years, and then they lose or win, and then it goes to somebody else, and, and then that person decides to change everything. It's not, it's not, these aren't long-term solutions, right? We can only just make it a little bit better for a short period of time. Correct, until ultimately we do have a majority in Congress and they are able to pass it legislatively, which is the best way to do it. But I don't think we have to wait until that point no, no. to try to improve it, because like I said, it did materially improve under Trump. It has materially deteriorated under Biden. It's so but, obvious. It's so obvious. So you didn't buy Biden's newfound border hawk initiatives where he's like, I'm going to shut the border down. Just give me the power. Like, where did this come from? Two weeks ago, you were telling us you're racist if you want the border shut down. Now he's telling us that he's a big border hawk. Well, didn't that bill have like $60 billion for Ukraine and only $20 billion for the border? Yes. Yeah, I think that's where his newfound enthusiasm yeah, yeah. for border security came from. <laughs> the fact that it doesn't change our asylum laws uh, materially. You can still claim asylum for almost any reason at a port of entry. And it gives three times as much money to Zelensky as it does to anything in the border. It's su- That was such an abysmal bill. Like... The only people that you could that you could say, oh, yep, they're the ones that presented it were congressional Republicans. It's amazing. They're, they're so disappointing. Um, I, I mean, I, m- the optimistic bone in my body does hope that there's a trickle up effect from the base of the Republican Party because we have gotten a lot more based. We have gotten a lot more savage on yeah. this stuff. It does take a little bit of time when you have incumbents, especially incumbents with long terms. Mm-hmm. It does take a little bit of time to challenge and primary those people and to root them out. Yeah. Uh, Liz Cheney showed us that it's not impossible, mm-hmm. that yeah. it can be done it and it should done. be done. And that's why I encourage the Republican Party to do my goodness, start getting these people out, like identifying who they are and get them out. Yeah. I mean, Kramer, uh, was he North Dakota, South Dakota, I forget, I forget which Dakota he's from. I think it's North. But like he was one of these guys voting for this. And like, uh, you know, it, it was obvious. He has a low approval rating in his state. He has a bad voting record. He's coming up for, uh, and like, there, is there any primary like challenge? Like funding him? Right. Like, yeah, I know. And, and it keeps happening. And like, uh, you know, uh, corn in here in Texas is the same thing. Yeah. He's terrible. Like, I can deal with Cornyn if he was in Maine, right? I could deal with Cornyn if he was in Massachusetts. All right, he's not great on everything, but what else are you going to get maybe in a, in a bluer but state? But Texas. Texas. Oh, so devastating. You know, you, you, know, you get these uh, Romney and Utah. Like, you get these guys that like, we should have the best possible senators in these states, and it drives me crazy. Okay, I'm going to rant yeah. all day if I keep going on this. Liz Wheeler, be sure to grab her book, Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids. And you can check her out on The Liz Wheeler Show as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Liz, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. When you absolutely positively have to buy or sell a home and, you know, sometimes you just got to you gotta move, you got to live somewhere, you need realestateagentsitrust.com on your side. This is a company that Glenn started himself years and years ago, and he started it because he was having a complete disaster with his real estate situation. He's like, there's got to be a better way. I'm just picking random people off websites. Like, what if the website instead screened the agent so we could have the best agent available? Uh, you know, because buying and selling home is an intimidating process. It kind of sucks. And, you know, it can be a lot of work. It can be confusing. You don't understand all the paperwork. You don't know this new area you're going into. You got to be able to smooth that process over. The agents they work with at realestateagentsitrust.com are the best in the area. They are top sellers. They know the lay of the land and they, they have the best practices to get you and your family where you need to go, whether it's across the street or across the country. Uh, most of these agents are fans of the show too. So you'll have something in common starting out. Just any, any, any hardcore right-wing thought you have, just blurt it out in the first meeting. They'll love you. I hope. Uh, realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. The name kind of says it all. Check it out now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, the uh, Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Did you hear about that? 
Yeah, uh, 123.4 million viewers, according to CBS, uh, the highest rated show since the moon landing is what uh, the report is. Now, of course, everyone knew it was going to be high and, and it was the Super Bowl is always the number one thing. Uh, the second highest show since the moon landing was the Eagles lost to the Chiefs last year. I'm glad to get that one wiped out of first place, frankly. Uh, but, you know, that was 115 million. So, I mean, people are like, oh, it's Taylor Swift. Yeah, well, yeah, a few percent. Yeah, I mean, look, Taylor's a very famous person and went uh, pretty well. 20 percent of viewers say they rooted for Kansas City Chiefs because of Taylor Swift. So, I mean, she's got the impact. We all know that. Um, I did. I had to spend most of the game with my phone creepily zooming in to try to take pictures of her and Jason Kelsey in the bo- in the uh, luxury box for my daughter. I got a good video of Travis Kelsey, and, uh, and I, I should have brought it for you guys. You could have seen Travis Kelsey and uh, Taylor Swift hugging and kissing after the game from a distance instead of up close, like the good camera shots where the people are on the field. You could have seen me zoom in with my phone. Uh, but my daughter appreciated it, and that's all I really care about in this particular uh, circumstance. Um, it was a good game. I will say Las Vegas, pretty good city they, for this. I mean, you'd expect it to be good. They were able to really handle the game. Some cities get overwhelmed by it. Some cities swallow it completely. Like, you know, when it was in New York, it was like the game wasn't even going on. It didn't, it's so big, it didn't really even have an impact there. Las Vegas was a kind of a sweet spot. You were able to get around pretty easily. There was, of course, tons to do, uh, a lot going on. But it still felt like a Super Bowl city. And uh, I can't imagine uh, Vegas is not going to be a, you know, in the rotation of cities. I will say a little chilly. All right. Las Vegas to me is supposed to be hot. Okay, I don't want to be going around. I was freezing. I was outside on Saturday freezing. I I want to stay inside the entire time uh, I was there. It was a little bit cold, a little chilly for my taste. But overall, a a good Super Bowl city. I think we got a a game that was bizarre. You had three quarters of honestly like sloppy. You know, there were some good defensive plays, but like the offenses were out of sync. There was, you know, some bad throws. There was fumbles there were uh you know penalties in bad spots not a lot of offense it was kind of a honestly i thought a pretty bad game at one point uh, i was texting back and forth with my son who said you know this is kind of boring i'm gonna go do something else uh and then right after that turned around uh everybody everything picked up and and we said at the time and i'm sure you're probably saying the self uh, to yourself at home if you care about the sport of it all but like you you know, San Francisco dominated that game for the first half, and you're only up one score. You just can't, you can't, you can't do that with Patrick Mahomes. You, you got, if you have a shot to take him out, you got to be up by 20. You got to be up by 24, and even then, it's going to be close. If you let him stay in a game in a one-score game like uh, with the first half like that, you're in serious, serious trouble. I will tell you another time about how I got absolutely destroyed on two would have been mammoth, monumental gambling victories on this game. I, you want to talk about tragic? heart-destroying losses. I had two of the closest calls. And honestly, if I would have won them, I wouldn't be here today. No, they weren't that big. But it, uh, it would have been a lot of fun. And unfortunately, I got my heart ripped out of my chest on both of those. But it was still a, a, a good time, uh, another Super Bowl down. And now we have to deal with a world without NFL football. And people could say, I don't care about football. There's more important things in the world. What about all the other important things? Why are you spending time talking about football when you could be talking about you know, how this person died or that person is about to explode or how the economy is going to collapse or how we're all going to turn into a communist, uh, you know, fascist dictatorship in the next three weeks? We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Let me enjoy some freaking football. All right. It's okay. 
to enjoy things. It's okay to enjoy life. What else are we protecting if we can't actually enjoy ourselves from time to time? But now we have to do that without football, which is, to me, much more difficult. Late last year, drug shortages hit a record high in this country, and it was causing all sorts of disruptions in medical treatment. There are delays, there's treatment cancellations. Doctors who just want to help out their patients and do what they can to make their patients' lives a little bit better couldn't come up with the medication they needed to do that. There's over 290 medications that are in short supply. Doctors are even saying they're being forced to make really difficult choices about choosing which patients get the medication, which ones don't. I mean, this is nuts. We're, this is supposed to be the United States of America. Well, the Jace case can help you with this. It's a personalized emergency kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common deadly uh, bacterial infections. Uh, you can get your own. You could buy a gift card for someone that you love, let them customize it. You know, I think a lot of times we think of bacterial illnesses, like what are the chances of me getting something that's really bad? Well, you, you might get them. I mean, this happens. Like, you get sick. What's normal is you get sick and you get a medication that knocks it out easily. That's what we're used to in the United States. If those medications are not in your possession, these things can get ugly really fast. So just protect yourself. Take a quick step at jacemedical.com, jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. Enter the code Stu at checkout. You'll get a discount on your order. It's jacemedical.com, promo code Stu, J-A-S-E medical.com. The promo code is Stu. Your Majesty, over to you. All right, let's kick it off. Let me walk back to this side of the podium. Look down at the floor. What's going on? Where's the floor? Oh, now let me look on the other side of the floor. Oh, there it is. Now this is where I'm supposed to stand. Uh-oh. I, now I'm on the Let me just go back to the other side real Mr. quick. Mr. President. Uh, I guess he's looking for a tape mark. I don't know. Yet again, looking confused. Um, his uh, physical exam, by the way, will not have a cognitive test because who would think that Joe Biden would need a cognitive test? Did you think he did? If you did, you're a bad person, even though every single other person on Earth uh, thinks the exact same thing, including Jill. Uh, you're the bad person for thinking it. Uh, now, you might say, well, what do you mean he looks confused? Uh, what, what are some, some, do you have any evidence on this? Well, let's just say, like, if he were to ban the app TikTok from every governmental device and then just start up on it a few months after he does that. Does that sound like someone who's making sane decisions? Um, well, that's what he did. He joined TikTok despite the White House banning government accounts, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and, you know, this goes back to this whole report that we saw. We talked about it a little bit earlier with Liz where this memory issue was brought up. Now, of course, this goes through Biden's own Department of Justice. This is a problem because it looks terrible. I mean, it's much worse than him actually just being guilty of this crime. As I've told you a hundred times, I really don't care if he has documents in his house. I don't care if Trump has documents in his house. Not that big of a deal, not a deal breaker for me as to what, now if he did something, if he sold them to you know, some foreign country, okay, maybe you're into you know, some interest there. But generally speaking, him having documents, I'm not that worried about. Uh, much worse that this went on. They went, on to, uh, their own, they went to their own Justice Department, um, but Biden's legal team did. And they said they, got, they basically got mad at him and said, hey, what the heck? Why do you put that in there? You didn't need to put that in there. You should have just said we were guilty. <laughs> but apparently uh, that I don't, didn't seem to uh, work. By the way, the uh, poll... Is, uh, there's a new poll out uh, on uh, Biden and the Trump on the rematch. A four-day poll shows 
37% supporting Trump, 34% for Biden, 10% said they'd vote for other candidates, 12% said they would not vote, 8% refused to answer. I don't know if you learn anything from this at this point. We're still pretty far away, and when you have that big of an undecided population, you're not going to get hardcore results from a poll like that. But remember, this thing's still close. Even with this guy, he's looking down at the floors, he's walking around behind King Abdullah. We still got a close race, and we'll continue to follow it for you. Did you know right before this show on Blaze TV, Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered, the brand new show with Sarah, is on. Make sure you check it out. In fact, tomorrow's a good day to check it out if you'd like. I'm going to be on it, and I'm talking about the uh, news of the day. So check it out wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube and on Blaze TV. It's Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered, all new.